Hello, Hi Rock. Welcome to our daily devotional. We're continuing our walk through the book of Isaiah, the Old Testament prophet. And so far, we've had several passages where uh, Isaiah has been talking about God's justice versus the human injustice that's present. And today, uh, Isaiah is going to be talking about a future judgment when God will set things right. So we are in Isaiah chapter 2, verses 6 through 22. And Michael, if you would read this for us, that would be wonderful. Hear the word of the Lord. For the Lord has rejected his people, the descendants of Jacob, because they have filled their land with practices from the east and with sorcerers, as the Philistines do. They have made alliances with pagans. Israel is full of silver and gold. There is no end to its treasures. Their land is full of war horses. There is no end to its chariots. Their land is full of idols. The people worship things they have made with their own hands. So now they will be humbled, and all will be brought low. Do not forgive them. Crawl into caves in the rocks. Hide in the dust from the terror of the Lord and the glory of his majesty. Human pride will be brought down, and human arrogance will be humbled. Only the Lord will be exalted on that day of judgment. For the Lord of heaven's armies has a day of reckoning. He will punish the proud and mighty and bring down everything that is exalted. He will cut down the tall cedars of Lebanon and all the mighty oaks of Bashan. He will level all the high mountains and all the lofty hills. He will break down every high tower and every fortified wall. He will destroy all the great trading ships and every magnificent vessel. Human pride will be humbled and human arrogance will be brought down. Only the Lord will be exalted on that day of judgment. Idols will completely disappear. When the Lord rises to shake the earth, his enemies will crawl into holes in the ground. They will hide in caves in the rocks from the terror of the Lord and the glory of his majesty. On that day of judgment, they will abandon the gold and silver idols they have made for themselves to worship. They will leave their gods to the rodents and bats while they crawl away into caverns and hide among the jagged rocks and the cliffs. They will try to escape the terror of the Lord and the glory of his majesty as he rises to shake the earth. Don't put your trust in mere humans. They are as frail as breath. What good are they? And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. One thing I think uh, is important to remember with passages of judgment is prophets um, often leave out uh the a certain part that is kind of assumed sometimes it's spelled out but it's always uh, an assumption in the background that these things are not inevitabilities it's not a prophecy of like this is exactly what's going to happen and here's the roadmap but rather it's a warning it's it, it's not meant to just scare people it's meant to scare people straight the idea being that this is what's going to happen and you have time there is still time the whole reason that the prophecy is coming to you is so that you might make a, a course correction, change uh, direction. And I think Isaiah may be speaking about a, 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 a near kind of judgment coming as, as well, but the there was one verse in here that talks about this day of reckoning, which hints that Isaiah is actually talking about an ultimate day of judgment, uh, the day of the Lord when God will write all of human history. But in this, there's also an opportunity for us to avoid other judgments or or to see other judgments coming. But I especially love verses seven, eight, and nine. Um, I, I think it, well, here it's talking about Israel, but I can just so easily see our own nation written into these lines. It says, Israel is full of silver and gold. There is no end to its treasures. And we, the United States, we're the wealthiest nation on earth, right? Like we, we have more money and resources than any other country. 
And then it says, their land is full of war horses. There is no end to its chariots. Now you think about that, war horses and chariots, uh, they, Israel didn't have many. They're very expensive and they required a lot of resources to maintain, but they represent the height of military power and the ability to project political power through military might. And I, I think maybe modern equivalents might be like tanks and warships and, and jet aircraft. And who but the United States has such a powerful navies and the height of stealth bombers and, and everything else, right? And then verse eight, their land is full of idols. The people worship things they have made with their own hands. And you might think, well, you know, the United States is actually one of the most religious, most Christian nations on earth. But I, I think what's interesting here is this idea that the people of Israel, though they continue to worship God in many ways, they're they're very enamored of themselves. They, they really think a lot of what they have done. And so it says that they worship the things that they have made. They, they, they're devoted to them. They're, they're uh, in awe over the things that they have made with their own hands. And, you know, I think, you know, we as a nation, I think we're incredibly proud of our own productivity and ingenuity. You know, we're at the head of AI and uh, you know, space exploration. Uh, it's just now that other nations like India are beginning to, uh, you know, make advances, you know, go beyond us in places like the moon by landing in places we haven't been. Uh, we're at, you know, at the head of designing cell phones, the Internet, uh, you know, advanced uh, processors, all of this. And you know, just as an image, I, I think Isaiah, if look, you know, if somehow Isaiah was transported to uh, modern world, I think he would look around at our world and and see us as worshiping. Because when you walk around on the street, everybody's head is bowed low as if they are in reverence. Now we're looking at our cell phones, but it just as a visual image, just walk around sometime and just look at the streets filled with people whose heads are. Are bowed and and there is kind of an image of worship and, and idolatry. We're 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 so fascinated and and devoted to the things that we have made. Uh, we have made these tools uh, to serve us, but in many ways they have become our masters. And in the following verse, it says, "So now they will be humbled, and all will be brought low." And I, I see this verse, you know, where it says "now," referring to kind of like a near reckoning or near-term reckoning that something's going to happen soon, but it's also pointing to an ultimate reckoning, uh, the day of the Lord. Um, and that's in verse twelve, where it says, "Well, the Lord of the heavens' armies has a day of reckoning. That's the day of the Lord. He will punish the proud and mighty, and bring down everything that is exalted." And then in verse 17, human pride will be humbled and human arrogance will be brought low. Only the Lord will be exalted on that day of judgment. Uh, I And the, the final verse even too emphasizes the same, same idea that don't put your trust in mere humans. They are as frail as breath. What good are they? You know, even the most powerful human beings on earth, even the wealthiest human beings on earth are still just as vulnerable to the mortality that plagues us all. We are all, as the scriptures say, as a breath. We're like a, a wind that 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 is here and then is gone. We're like a vapor. So I, I, I see here, God is just reminding people, you know, to take their eyes off of the, how special they think they are in the moment, uh, you know, special they think they are on their own and how uh, awestruck they might be at the things they have made. I mean, it's good to appreciate appreciate those things, but not to think of more of them than they are, not to think that they give you ultimate purpose in life and and can help you transcend death. That's you know ultimate purpose in life and and the uh, ability to access things that are everlasting, a, a true legacy. That is something 
that comes from the Lord. And these things will be set right. So anyway, uh, Michael, I've been going on for a while. I'm wondering what you see in this passage and maybe how it applies. I mean, I, when I referenced from Israel to the United States, I certainly wasn't thinking it applies only to the United States, but I think it's interesting that, you know, Israel was a nation that was so enamored of its special place in God's plan. And this is the prophecy directed against them. And I think in many ways it could also be directed against our own nation today that in, in many ways seems to feel that it has a special place in God's plan and yet is subject, I think, to the same criticisms that the prophet Isaiah lays against Israel. So I'm wondering if you have something to say about that or if there's something else that you uh, see in today's passage. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, as you were speaking, I, I was having this thought of um, how I do think this passage, like obviously doesn't speak directly to us. It'd be, it'd be wrong to say like this passage was written for the United States in 2023. But I think the parallels are um, similar in that of like, what, what kind of we, I think, I think if we give a fair assessment of our country, we kind of have to be able to own and confess to those things. And if not, then we can even see how the story is going to unfold. I think that that is maybe the way there's like two ways to look at this story is like one, God doesn't have to give a warning, um, but uh, he does. And we see what the, we kind of can see like, okay, what, what's going to happen? Is Israel going to respond um, to God and, and turn from its ways? And no, they don't. And then it's very clearly laid out what happens and we can look at history and see what happens. And it's not, it's not really good. Uh, and I know that's like sobering, but it, it makes me want to pay attention to this text more because I think uh, it, it's in light of actually knowing more, right. Of who God is even, or possibly I would say that, um, in the, the life of Jesus, we get this experience or this, uh, this encounter of who and what God looks like. And we see that God is compassionate. God is gracious. God is loving his, th these are his true characteristics. And because of Jesus, we can then hold on to this, this promise of like, God wants what's good for us. And so to me, I look at this as a warning, almost as like, uh, and you know, this is what I always do, almost as like a parent when I'm telling my kids, like the consequences of like their actions, right, of what what could take place. And I don't, I'm like, I think a good parent doesn't necessarily control, right, exactly what's going to happen. I, I can't prevent my kids decisions. But I want to give them fair warning. And I want to tell them like, what's going to happen, and then even say, well, I'm going to stand by you. And I, as we read Isaiah, and as we go further and further along, we'll see that's kind of how the tonal shift takes place. But unfortunately, we'll also see that Israel doesn't turn from its ways. And I think similarly, if we were to bring it back to the example of today, I think we just have to take an honest look at ourselves and then choose, make the choice. And um, but then have to live with the consequences and know that it's like it's not unfair. It's it's just how like I think it's actually really gracious and merciful for um, us to be forewarned. It's not something that we're entitled to, but God wants to call us out of this way of living one because it's harmful in the now but then it's even like just the reality of what is gonna, like what could happen in terms of the proud being humbled the arrogant being laid low and so yeah i read this it's sobering but it's also um there's also a weird sense of gratitude that it's there <laughs> well yeah i mean like you use the example of being a parent i think you know we've used uh um, we've talked about the example of like a physician telling a patient, hey, you know, 
here you're, you're, you have all these rich excesses, right? Like you're pounding caffeine and sugar and saturated fat. You're clogging your arteries. Your caffeine doesn't allow your kidneys to hold on to its potassium. Your muscles are wasting away. You're basically causing this cataclysm of health conditions that are going to destroy your body. And, you know, God is saying, look, these, these excesses that, that, that are happening, this, that, this, you know, boastfulness and pride are causing this spiritual rot. There's a, a, a spiritual disease that's going on and it will destroy you. And, and God would be, you know, negligent, uh, extremely unloving, not to bring it to our attention. Sometimes very stark and harsh things, as long as they are true and helpful, are, are loving, right? If, mm-hmm. if you're saying, if there's a way in which I know that we as human beings can sometimes say the truth and use it as a weapon, like, you know, we can like, see someone going down the wrong path and rather than wanting to correct them, we want to like jab them with it and say, see, I told you so, or, um, you know, we want to lay down the prediction so that we can say, see, I told you so down the road. And of course, that's not what God is doing here. God doesn't want us to go down that road. Yeah, uh, Michael, I, have, I wonder if you have any thoughts about that or any final thoughts about today. And if you'd uh, be willing to close this in prayer. Yeah, I guess just quickly, I hope quickly uh, that I, I see in this text also just this it's this idea of surrender and trust. And God is saying, if you surrender to me and you trust in me, it, you will be blessed, right? And blessed not in terms of everything to be perfect, but you will be essentially in good hands. But if you choose, if you don't do that, you're going to surrender. And probably to those who you put your trust in, and these are going to be the consequences of what takes what takes place there. And we see that. We see that unfold later on in the story. Israel does surrender um, and they put their trust in people and it does not turn out well for them. And God grieves that. And, and, and so, yeah, that was just like, even in my own life, I want to be able to surrender to God um, and to trust um, that he is going, he has what he has good in store for me and others. Um, well, wonderful. So Would you I'll, pray for us? Yeah. Lord, thank you for this word, though it's sobering. It is also gracious to us as your people. I pray that we would be people who could confess our our sins, our wrongs, and know that you are one who forgives and who wants what's best, not just for us, but for all those around us. So God, I pray that we would move into this honesty of who we are, and we would step into serving people in love as you do for us. It's your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you, Michael, for being with us today. Everyone else, thank you for joining us today. And I hope you're able to come back tomorrow as we continue our walk through Isaiah. Go in peace.